Welcome to the One Deeper Podcast. The following is a conversation with Dr. Jeffrey Evans. To read out the entirety of his bio would constitute another episode in and of itself. He's an engineer, educator, musician, father, and husband. Dr. Evans taught me at Purdue and beyond his technical expertise, what struck me was his motivation to try and help me find a path that would give me life meaning. He was not just interested in teaching me the material. He was motivated to help me grow as a person, regardless of where it took me. It was one of the most impactful educational experiences of my life, and I try to carry that gift forward to everyone I encounter. In this conversation, we speak about finding a path in life, making difficult decisions, information theory, the ethics of engineering, and much more. There's something in here for everyone. So, without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Jeffrey Evans. I don't edit anything out, you know, but like I do just do some, uh, you know, like you know. basic, like, you know, cleaning up like uh, noises and uh, background noises, et cetera, et cetera. But other than that, it's right. Everything's everything's uh, like I, I try not to I try to keep okay. the spirit of this medium in the sense that like it's just a conversation between people and like um, you know uh, like if it like you know like if you don't want to listen to it you don't have to right like if something <laughs> like if something if something that we talk like get, get, <laughs> that gets spoken on here get like because this is a concern like I guess people had when coming on the show in the first place they were like what are we going to talk about and I'm like look. Uh, like I want to talk about things that I'm interested in, and sometimes it's they're not like they're not like they're not. I don't know. Like it might make it might offend people, I guess. But like I just I'm just curious, and I want to know how this whole thing works, right? Um, but before right. we get started, like I, right. like I was, I've been telling my friends here about you, and like I just want you to give a basic introduction, because like your, your your bio is ridiculous. <laughs> I, I, You've like you've been basically all over the place, um, but I'll, right. So I'll let yeah, you start. That's a good way I'll to put ask, it. And then I'll start. I'll ask you some questions. But where do you want to start off from? Like, where do you think uh, a good jumping off point is for your life? Um. So so all right. Ask okay, you know what? Again, I'll ask you what do you want to know? All right, let's start with the, let's start with the music, okay? Because okay, because I yeah, I couldn't find oh, okay. your music. Okay, so I was one, like, okay, damn it! Okay. I just want to listen to some music. So you have to send me your music after this conversation, so I can listen to it. Oh yeah, yeah. It's um, I, I'll well. Hang oh, on. perfect. I'll, that's, I'll, that's, well, that's I'll, I'll send you the SoundCloud link. You can uh, you know. So the the one album that I did in roughly 1990 it was a smooth jazz album instrumental um you know how did that start but anyway, how did the music start um when musically yeah i basically um it really started my junior and senior year of high school um, I had been playing the trumpet since I was in like in sixth grade, but it was the typical, mm-hmm. typical thing you play in like concert band and that kind of stuff. And it's, you know, it's pretty uneventful. And then, um, I won an award in 1976, um, 
I was voted outstanding musician at a at a jazz festival that actually happened to be at Purdue University in 1976, and it was all these high schools from all over the state came in, and the guy that handed me the plaque, which I still have today, um, his name is Marvin Stamm. He is one of the he's you could count him on you know two hands some of the greatest trumpet players on the planet and he's one of them he's been around a long time um he's played with everybody paul mccartney the beatles That's you know, uh, well you know paul <laughs> mccartney and others you know of, of that era so i mean uh he's he's yeah, wonderful you can look I, him up I, on I, youtube I just wrote out brilliant, his brilliant so like i'm also taking copious notes because i want to keep track of all this stuff yeah <laughs> Yeah, so that inspired me to go and try to audition for uh, to, to be a music performance major. I wanted nothing right. to do with music education. I wanted to perform. I wanted to be a performer. And um, I, I, in the process of doing that, I didn't get accepted to my primary school that I wanted to go to, which How was Indiana University. <laughs> they're, they're renowned for their music school, their jazz school, that kind yeah. of stuff. And I didn't get in. And and so I was really disappointed and didn't know what to didn't know what I was gonna do. And and this was like we're in the summer after my senior year, so I've got like two or three months to figure this out. Um and some band directors in the county, I started taking serious trumpet lessons and that that player um has since passed away but he's he's you know kind of my music one of my musical idols but um they they kind of put their heads their their heads together and they had three schools that i could that i could go to one was in minnesota one was in kentucky and the other one was in jacksonville florida so being an 18 year old um you can imagine mm -hmm. the atmosphere <laughs> at a college in Florida uh, in those days. It was the 70s. So I picked Florida. And um, it was a small school, and I got to play in everything. I got to do everything, um, every kind of band you could imagine. I played with Bob Hope. Um, he's a legendary entertainer. Um uh, actually started in vaudeville and did a lot of stuff, the USO tours during right, right. some of the wars and, and that kind of stuff. You can look him up too. Um, very famous, uh, person. Um, so I did that for a couple of years and it was the seventies. There were some things that were scaring me. So I had always gravitated towards mm -hmm. the sound systems you know, right. and setting up the sound systems for performances and stuff, you know, and because I was playing in rock bands and doing that kind of stuff. So I kind of did this left turn and went into engineering technology and um, ended up going to school closer to home. Um, it was it was right. one of the um, satellite campuses of Purdue. Um, so I could drive back and forth. I could work while I was going to school, um, you know, and, and better than that, I could kind of pay my tuition, do all that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, I, I did that. Um, 
got married in the process and moved to the suburbs of Chicago to start working. But I also was, I, the summer I got married, I think my wife saw an ad in the, in the, one of the Chicago papers and said, maybe you should go audition for this rock band. They're looking for, they're looking for a trumpet player. And I was like, well, why not? So I nice. called the number and, and I got the gig. So we, it was a eight piece horn, you know, and we played rock music. I mean, it was, and it was great. We played all the, the biggest clubs in Chicago. We played them. We played large private parties. So this is while we were making you were really you were good money. While you were and oh, was, okay. Uh, while I was working. Yeah. Yeah. While I was working. Um, and so as things evolved, um, as they always do, um, with bands and stuff, there were guys in the band that had families. There were guys in the band that had one guy worked for the city of Chicago. So he had this really mm-hmm. secure job. Um, he didn't, he and his wife didn't have any kids at the time, but he had this really secure job. And, um, there was talk about going on the road and backing up, you know, a major, right. major headlining act, you know, of, of the time, you know, um, and that was kind of a fork in the road. All of us kind of had to make hard decisions. And ultimately we, we ended up not doing that. So I started kind of dabbling on my own, right. Doing a little bit more writing, um, a couple of the guys that were left, you know, we did some other, some other types of music and, and did that kind of stuff. Um, and then around, I don't know, it was around 1989, I was still working as well, an how engineer. Did you, how did you have time to do, and how I, did you, wait, 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 how did yeah. you get your engineering feet while you were doing all this stuff? Like, um, I was going to school, um, I was, I was going to school and working. Um, so those days were completely full. Right. You know, you'd go to school during the day and work at night, you know, whatever. Um, you know, my wife and I used to meet right. once a week because her, she was doing the same thing. She was going to school. She was working. Our schedules were more or less incompatible with each other. So we really didn't kind of see each other except for rare occasions. And we'd, we'd go to this place whenever we could and we'd go sit down and have a piece of pie. That was our thing, you know, and it was once a a week or two or, you know, whenever we could kind of, kind of get together. Um, And then I, I started working. I got out of college and started working. And the first job I had was at, um, was at Bell Telephone Laboratories. So they don't exist anymore, but it was at the time considered one of the safest and most secure places on the planet that one could work. AT&T. Yep. 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 And it was right when the divestiture of AT&T happened. So things were kind of upended and confused and, you know, nobody really knew what was going to happen next and all that kind of good stuff. Um, 
so that job was actually as close to a kind of nine to five job as I ever had. So I could go do the playing at night. So basically my life schedule never really changed all that much. You know, I would be working or going to school during the day and then doing something else at, at, you know, working or going to school at night. So now I'm working during the day and then two or three nights a week, I'd be rehearsing with this rock band and then two or three nights a week, I'd be playing out with this rock Mm -hmm. band. So it was the same thing. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, you're kind of consumed. So you're, you're, you know, your days are going from, I don't know, um, five or six in the morning until <laughs> midnight and then, you know, rinse and repeat. Man, you're making me sound, you know, you me look bad. You're making me sound like a, like, you know, like there a lazy were... slump at this point. <laughs> well, well, and that, actually, that was a thing that, I, we'll get to this probably later, but some of my grad students actually didn't really like about me because yeah. when they would complain that they didn't have time for something, I would, <laughs> I would go into, let me tell you a couple of stories about time. Yeah. You know? And so, I mean, it, and it, it actually gets worse, um, believe it or not, because when, um, yeah, you know, so, so the music thing kind of culminated in about 1990 or so I was asked, well, there was a song or two on my record that got on a compilation record in the city of Chicago. And we actually, I actually made some money and I think I made my biggest BMI check. (laughs) What? I want to say it was from Venezuela. Um, Yeah. Oh yeah. It's crazy. I mean, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't make any royalty money or anything in the U S I couldn't even get the stuff played, you know? Um, But once it got distributed internationally, it was like, oh, people thought this was a good song. It was like, okay, fine, you know, cool. So, you know, that was the early 90s. And um, we, uh, the the music Mm -hmm. thing, I hit a fork in the road. It was like a major fork in the road. And it was like, do you keep pursuing this? Because at that point, I ninety three. I had two kids. You also had you know, two kids. Had two little while girls. was happening. How? What? In that's that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Basically, you know, I well during mm-hmm. also during the eighties, I was doing some traveling on business, so I was squeezing that stuff kind of stuff in, um, and and so you had you had that going. Um, you know, we had two kids in the late eighties. And then 90, 91, my record came out. Um, we, and then this, this, I was contacted by these, these guys in the, in the city about this compilation record. And I said, yeah, fine. You know, that's, that's fine. We did that. And then the band, I, I guess the main attraction, I guess, for this compilation record, um, their band lost their keyboard player, and they were getting ready to go on on the road to to the UK. Um, it was for several weeks; it wasn't like months right. or any of that kind of stuff. So they asked me to fill in. So it's this 
kind of blues band from Chicago and they were pretty good. Um, good, strong vocal, good guitar player, good bass player, really good drummer. Um, and I wasn't even playing my horn. I was playing uh, keyboards. Um, so that's one of the things you have to learn as a music major. You have to learn a little bit about how to play piano and that, that kind of stuff. So I end up going on the road with them for, I think it was two to three weeks. So I used up all my vacation, all the, a lot of vacation I had with the company I was working for. I said, Hey, I, I I'd really how, like to do this. On, I yeah, go ahead. Like, that was before. You, how did you, how did you convince this? Yeah, go, go ahead. This human female to put up with all this, like <laughs> she's no same um, person. <laughs> That, yeah. yeah, that's a really good question. Um, actually, we've right. always worked really, really well as a team. Um, she's, she's an accountant, and so she's a numbers person. Um, she's very, very strong with like day-to-day -day operations and that kind of stuff. Um, and we also made the decision after our second daughter was born that it was literally close to a coin flip because at that time she was working, I was working, and we were both mm -hmm. making about the same money. It was just within a couple thousand dollars, you know, per year. Um, so we kind of made this decision. We were going through daycare options and things like that. And we, right. we said, you know, this just doesn't feel right. So it was darn near a coin flip. And, but she decided she would like to stay home. So we said, yeah, fine, let's do it. Right. If you, if you hate staying home with the kids, you can always go back to work. Um, and, and that was, and that was a thing. And, um, she ended up staying home with, with the kids. And, and so I was still kind of running around doing this because all of that money that I was right. making from music, that would pay for our vacations and stuff. Right. So we took some decent vacations, you know, with the kids, you, you know, so that's kind of how that worked out. We would bank that money and, you know, do that kind of stuff. Um, cause literally, mm -hmm. I mean, think about it, you know, you're cutting your income in half. Um, that took a couple years to kind of recover from that and get used to that. The right. good news was we didn't have a lot of debt and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so, so yeah, so she's, I don't know. Um, you probably have to ask her, she's out for a walk right now with one of the neighbors and, and, uh, but now that you asked that question, I'm thinking about yeah. that and go, huh, <laughs> how did she put up with all that? You know, um, that's a really good question. Um, so yeah, so we, we do this tour in England. We're, we're in London. We do three or four shows. We're in Liverpool. We do the Cavern Club. We do places like that. And, and that was a lot of fun. I, 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 I got to interrupt you for one second. Stuff we, one second. Hold on. One second. I'm, I'm going to pause this. Uh, we'll be right back. Okay. So at that time, I, um, we, the family, had some things to consider. And um, the one thing that was becoming painfully obvious is that if I was going to try to make a career 
in music, being a performer or entertainer, that kind of thing, then I would either have, we would either have to move to Europe um, or I would have to basically be on the road there probably nine, 10 months out of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of the choice that was, um, that we were facing and it went, and even at that, it was a gamble, but the, the audiences were much more friendly, right. um, um, in, in Europe. And so, um, this was now 1990, at this point it was 1993, 94. And, um, it was probably the hardest decision that I'd ever made in my life. I literally, I put my horn down and stopped playing cold Turkey. You, what? Um, you, you haven't played? Yeah. Yeah. I stopped. Um, it was on Christmas day. In That's fact. crazy. I was practicing every single day. You know, you're practicing, you know, 365, you know, that kind of thing. And several hours a day to keep your chops up and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And naturally, when you that big of a void um, sort of leaves you, um, you've got this huge kind of chunk of time, you, you know, just kind of sitting there. Right. So I was doing things like, you know, I'd finish the basement of the house or do something, you know, construction project or do something like that. Um, But I kind of wanted more. And again, at that point, I had probably the best job on the planet at the company I was in. I was managing the advanced development department. Um, for a company that made carbon monoxide detectors and, and smoke alarms and that kind of stuff. So I right. will get into the industrial yeah. side in a little bit, but this is where that music is coming kind of to an end and things are changing. So um, in an effort to, well, when I got hired at this company, they hired me to write software of all things. Mm-hmm. I was getting tired of doing hardware, electronic hardware design. And so they hired me to do software. So I wrote software. I did the first project. It was a carbon monoxide detector. Um, That's a story. That's a, that's a podcast in and of itself. (laughs) Um, The, um, but I felt like I didn't, like I could have done better. I could have done things more efficiently. I frankly, I didn't know what I was doing. right? Right. So I decided that, yeah, I'm going to take a class. Just go take a programming class, right? Mm -hmm. That's all where my mindset was. Right. Right. I'm just going to take a programming class. Okay. Five years later, I had a master's degree in computer science. (laughs) And by that time, I had changed jobs to a company that where I was doing very sophisticated software design, um, a telecommunications infrastructure kind of company. So this is a company that makes large network switches and things like that. I was working on a thing that was a precursor to the, the cable modem. Right. Okay. So I was doing that kind of stuff. Um, and this company started paying for me to pursue a PhD. Cause I was getting into security protocols. I was getting into cryptographic algorithms and doing that kind of stuff, which was a blast. I was having a really 
really, really good time. Um, and by that time, the music had really gone away, and my time hole vacuum was filled with. So now I'd wake up and go to work. I'd go to work, get home. And as my wife tells the story, because I've asked her, because there are parts of my memory that I'm not totally sure <laughs> that I was there all the time, you know, for the kids. Right. Right. Yeah. And I'm, and she reminds me that, yes, you were there. All the concerts you made, you made, you craft, you know, you carved out the time to make sure that that happened. I was like, okay. Um, so, you know, sporting events, concerts, all that kind of stuff. So my, my days during my PhD studies were get up at 5.30 in the morning, go to work, I'd get back at about 6, we'd have dinner, I'd spend my time with the kids from the time, you know, from dinner, pre-dinner, and, and going through till the time the kids went to bed. Mm-hmm. And then I'd go in the basement, which was about 8, 30, 9 o'clock. And then I'd go in the basement and I'd work from 9 o'clock until 1 or 2 in the morning. Right. Okay. So this is the part that aggravates my graduate students, <laughs> right? Because I would just simply tell them I did that for 10 years. Okay. So when you talk about not having time, you know, to get things done, it's really kind of a misnomer. It's how you're managing time. Yeah, I, I, I did. I, you know, I, I definitely. So I'm um, sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted yeah. to add, a, I just wanted to point out a couple of things. So um, I find it really interesting that uh, you mentioned like your first initial idea was I'm just going to take a programming class. Right. Right. And that's really interesting because that's sort of how I, how I ended up here because I was in a in a situation where so I graduated from Purdue right. and I was back home and I was like and I and I you know I did a bunch of, I worked for like a, I, did, I, I I my first gig was being trained as a project coordinator for this industrial manufacturing company, right? Mm-hmm. So I was working directly for the C, chief information officer. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "All right, you're going to be my man. Like I'm going to basically school you on how to how you how you manage the technology in a in a multinational uh, uh, global business right and i was like okay that sounds really interesting uh, so i i worked there for like a year but and then i and then you know it was something was missing i wasn't quite sure what it was and then one of my friends was like hey man i'm starting a like a travel business do you want to just come try that out and i was like yeah that sounds amazing and it, and it was all and, and it was all about cricket right so the entire thing was like bringing cricket teams to sri lanka and then t- traveling with them around the island and playing like watching them play cricket like arrange the matches the tours so it was like basically a big engineering project but it was not just like it was just people instead of instead of hardware right yeah and and that was fun and so after that i started working for a big uh, engineering company as a as a marketing executive because I had the engineering background and I also had the the marketing chops because I worked mm-hmm. on the small company for a little while. Mm-hmm. And how this started was that I was sitting at my in my office one day, like in my desk, and I was just like, you know, 
I'm missing the fun of technical stuff, like you know, like doing like technical things. I'm just I'm just gonna take some online classes. Like I'm just gonna take <laughs> I'm just gonna take right. one online one online class and then see what happens. Right, that is literally right. all I was thinking. Um, yeah. So and then and now here uh, now I'm in the Netherlands. And I'm doing research. Like I'm I'm TAing. Uh, calculus courses, and I'm a, I'm a I'm an undergraduate research assistant studying like complex systems, and I'm like, how did I end up here? <laughs> I just want right. to do one class. <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I was this this telecommunications company was great because I've had two jobs in my in my career that I actually thought and actually wanted to retire from. Okay. Two. Right. Yeah. I was downsized in both of them. So, you know, it just didn't work out. And, and when I mean downsized, I mean, you know, it's just business. It's not, you know, I think, I, I think I told the computer architecture class that you were in about, yeah, exactly. you know, the, about the second one, you know, that, you know, you're, I'm getting raises of 13, 14% every year. I'm getting stock options and this and that. And I got two promotions in five years. That's not the track record of somebody who's not carrying their weight, you know, but I was doing such cool stuff. It was way front end. So when kind of the dot-com bubble burst around the, you know, around 2000, um, the target on my back got bigger and bigger because they need more of the engineers to actually engineer the products and do that kind of stuff. We were doing technical due diligence on companies to buy or partner with and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, which was just a blast. It was, I I was basically doing research. Okay. I had just finished my master's and when my master's was done, I was modeling, I was doing modeling and simulation work of, fairly complex systems, right? Um, and, you know, when you have a person on your thesis committee in that, at that time, this was around 2000. Yeah, this was about, about the year 2000. And they're asking, okay, how would you model the internet? You know, the yeah. internet, the global yeah. internet. Right. It's yeah. like, Wow, that's a that's a pretty heady question. That's um, you know that's a really difficult one. And we were still in the days of AOL and dial-up modems and that kind of stuff. I mean, we hadn't, you know, this whole thing of the internet, high-speed stuff, you know, entertainment and news as fast as it's happening and all that kind of stuff. It's it's still fairly new. You know, it just it hasn't been around that long. Um, so, you know, by the time I got done with my PhD, I was thinking about that problem. How do you monitor, you know, how do you model things like, um, large data latencies and things like that, errors that happen on the Mm. internet and that kind of stuff. And so I ended up getting into parallel computational systems because they were confined and I could model things at a large level, but a smaller level than the World Wide web. Right. Cause you can't, it's, it's a difficult thing to 
simulate slash emulate, you know, so you want to try to, simulations are only as good as the data that's put into them. Right, right. There's a, there's a, there's a great saying, uh, 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 every model is wrong. Some models are useful. Right. Exactly. (laughs) That's exactly right. Um, so I developed kind of an emulator to, um, emulate network traffic in ways that I could have large parallel programs that were actual programs that had start time and, and, and finish and that kind of stuff. I could have them run and then I could disturb them with my tool. Mm-hmm. And, and we could measure that. We could measure the effects of the runtime, you know, the, 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 the runtime um, uh, variation, you know, of these large parallel programs. So anyway, long story short, um, that's kind of what I did on the PhD level. And I pursued that for a while at Purdue. Uh, again, that last job that I had, I was downsized in 2002. And 2003, I got the gig at Purdue. Right. So, and I think I met you around 2013, 14, yeah, somewhere yeah, yeah. in yep. there. Oh, um, I, so but, actually, I just wanted like, I just, just something that came to mind and I just wanted to ask you. So because you brought up the internet, right? Like, um, yeah. I, like I don't, I don't think about it as often as I should, but I, it does, it does come to my mind sometimes. So so this, 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 so in AI, like I just make a I, sorry, it's just just a random tangent, but it's, this is gonna happen. Yes. Like, <laughs> um, so so in AI, one of the things that we like general like you know the general, you know, the, let's say coffee like the cooler like the the, the cooler talk is like mm-hmm. let's say AGI right like an art, like an, an artificial general intelligence right, mm-hmm. and you know some people claim it'll be you know next twenty years thirty years whatever right. And I was just thinking about other technologies that people have sort of failed to predict. Like, I I don't know enough about this, but were people talking about the internet like, hey, this is coming soon, or was it just something that sort of just showed up? Like, I don't know. I I wish I, should, I wish I should know about I should know about more about this. But well, I I I think I can help you with at least a little bit of that history. Um because we were so involved in the early stages, um, there was a period of time when everybody who was accessing the internet was doing it via a telephone line, mm-hmm. right? There weren't cable modems, there weren't fiber, you know, to the home, there weren't satellites, none of that stuff. Um, so this company called AOL, America right. Online, yeah, right. Um, is, it probably doesn't get the credit it deserves at literally engaging huge masses of people into this thing called the internet. Okay, so what was the actual utility? Well, businesses weren't using it yet. Mm-hmm. Entertainment wasn't using it yet. So what could we do with it? Well, we had this thing called email. And when DARPA did the first 
you know, uh, internet, so to speak. That's all they were doing with it right. was sending, you know, information between the research labs and, and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so by about 2000, by about the dot com, you know, bubble, what mo- a lot of people don't know is that about half of the fiber optic capacity in the United States wasn't being used. It was there, but nobody was using it. What was the infrastructure in place for in the first place then? Like what was the fiber being? Well, it was what they started doing is they started building fiber rings around cities. Okay. So, so what started to happen was that businesses started using the internet as an advertising mechanism, right? We still hadn't mm-hmm. gone quite into financial stuff yet. It was still evolving. Um, right. This little company um, uh, called, I think it was Mosaic, um, Andreessen, who developed mm-hmm. um, what eventually turned into Firefox, uh, oh, right. you know, okay. that, that browser, so now we started going from a text-based internet, which, by the way, all the PCs at that time, most of them were not graphic. Windows 95 had just started coming on board and started right. penetrating. That was a, like the first graphical, you know, of any kind of substance uh, scale. I mean, Mac had their operating system um, years earlier but they didn't have the scale. And, and, you know, so companies were putting intranets and doing network. You know, there was a thing called Novell Network and people were doing different kinds of network technologies, token rings and things like that within companies to basically do file sharing. It, it's such an interesting circle. Right. <laughs> we used to have services and applications on things called file servers within a company. So your desktop didn't really have anything on it. Mm-hmm. You had to go get like a little license to use Microsoft Word or, you know, or Excel or Lotus 1, 2, 3 or whatever the, whatever the tool of the day you were using. And then we went the other way. So everything was on your desktop. And now we're going back to this thing we're calling a cloud. Right. Right. So, right. so <laughs> we've gone full circle with this thing. Full circle. Yeah. And yeah, it, 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 it's, it's so amazing. Cause as I reflect on it, it's been, well, it's been 20 years. Um, and we've kind of done this full circle thing. And part of it's because the technology has evolved and the speeds are kind of there and the security is mostly there. Um, you know, I still think we're probably a generation or two behind, you know, computers and networks and internets and that kind of stuff. It's useful for, for people who are very technically literate, mm-hmm. but for people who are only technically aware, it can be really dangerous. Um, yeah, I hear. Because a lot of folks just simply are naive and don't have any clue as to where they're going if they press this thing that came in a random email. Right. Um, which is unfortunate. I find so, that, yeah. 
Yeah, sorry, no. So I just like I, 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 I've been thinking a lot about sort of, you know, I've been thinking about how weird we are as human beings, right? Like, yeah, of course we are we are part of this ecosystem. We're part of the animals, like everybody, every other animal. But there's something yes. about us that's really weird, right? And um, I've been trying to, you know, put my finger on what this weirdness is, and I'm trying to think of like all these, uh, all the, <laughs> all these different things that. Um, that make us weird. And one of the things I think is that um, like every, like, you know, our ability to cooperate and work with like a different agent is, I, I would say like, it, it seems to me like unbelievably unique in terms of, I mean, other animals have, you know, team behavior, etc. but the degree yeah. to which human beings coordinate is, is preposterous. Like the fact that you and I can have this conversation across oceans takes the cooperation of hundreds of thousands of people just doing like doing their little part of little part of the chain, right? Doing a little part of right. the job. And um, the fact that we have come up with things like abstract uh, things like money, like that allow allow us to take our like ability to cooperate to the next level. Has made it so much more powerful, right? So I think of it, the I think of think of the 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 internet, like one of these things where it's just like a step function increase in our ability to uh, amplify the collective productivity of 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 like of one of of people. So right, and we've. I, I think if we're not already there, we are arduously close to being at a technological place where humans in general can't handle it because we can get, we can information can go so fast mm -hmm. and at such scale it is simply overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and for most humans, we're still not there in terms of our own capacity to, frankly, parse out the noise. I mean, it's exactly. one of the things that I, I was... think I, I tried I, I, that I tried to explain to you guys back at Purdue was. You know, when you look at the Internet, you have to assume that at least half of what you see is garbage. Right. Yep. So that, that's not useful. Yeah. yeah you know, absolutely. And, and that's the trick is figuring all this out. Absolutely. Right? So, like, I mean, I, I was just I was literally just about to mention this. And um, uh, from, from my estimation, it feels like to me there's a lot of there's a lot of data, but not, not much information like you're right. like. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of data, but natural knowledge that's that that takes work. You know, you have to sort of sieve that out. And a lot of people have a have trouble in their lives managing the signal to noise ratio, right? Like right. keeping 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 themselves insane. So, for example, I've been off social media of all sorts except LinkedIn yep. for for about two years now, mm -hmm. and. And my life has been immeasurably improved, <laughs> like <laughs> just just because just because like so like it, it sort of um, forced me 
So in the sense that the, 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 the network I have around me of people, they also act like a really strong filter uh, for information, right? Yes. And so instead of being instead of being trapped in the daily oscillations of like this happens, that happens, this happens, I am more able to tune into a longer term trend of what's happening instead of being distracted yes. by the daily variation that happens in all these little all these things, right? Right. You so, have figured out a good way to slow things down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. To, right? like, to, my, and, prim and, to my primate brains. Can, can, can right. Mind. Well, it, it, you know, <laughs> I, I think that's a. I think it's it's extremely important uh, for all of us to kind of do that to slow things down. You know, you've got everybody has their their quote unquote reliable sources. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wherever they get information. There's, right. there's what they consider their most reliable sources. And then sometimes it sort of helps to um, once in a while go investigate what you think is an unreliable source. If for no better reason, just to verify that it's an unreliable source. I agree. Like, I think, I think like, um, uh, and this, this, like, I am, I, I, I've been, I mean, I've been fascinated with this, the, the idea of information because I've been trying to figure out what exactly it is that we're doing here, right? Like, in terms of just human beings, right? Well, what it is that we're doing here, and, right. and like, uh, 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 I, I toy, I, I mean, I toyed with the idea that, like, then the, I, I've been toying with the idea a lot, the fact that, like, I, the idea that we are just a Anyway, no, no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get into the tangent right now. We'll get there on this later. Oh, but... Go right ahead. Yeah. <laughs> All right, okay, fine. So, because um, I'm studying neuroscience as well, and I'm studying yes. um, um, like a lot of uh, AI um, stuff. That, that's uh, the the point of view is is from an information processing point of view, right? That that the brain. Is an information processor that is just it just it deals with inputs and outputs, in in the very in the reason in the, in the same way a computer does. Part of me thinks that's just sort of like us hoping that it that hoping that it's true so that we can put it in on make it reality on a computer. Like it's it's like a wish. Like it's like a wish that we hope this is the right idea so that we can implement it in the machine and then finally have our dream of this this AI thing that you want to get to. Right? I'm not so convinced personally. Um, but what the hell do I know? I'm like I don't know anything, right? But uh, I was also thinking like um, I've I've been I've been so part of the thinking about this idea of okay, fine. If our brains an information processor, processor, right? Let's let's like let's like take that idea to the limit. And what if everything? What if the entire universe is just a processor of information? Like all it does is process information. Like it's like it's being run on some unknown substrate that we have no idea like we are just uh, we are just inside this thing like and we are doing something we are processing information we are doing something moving towards some optimization function like some optimal point that we have no idea about right and um so like it's it's weird like uh, this whole experience is a, i find to be a quite a strange it's quite a strange phenomenon and considering how much you've worked with information and right. and like man where do i start so i i i i read i started reading uh 
a book on information theory just to sort of like try to because i i needed a way to to understand how to quantify this right like how like what is the thought the what are, what are the what are the thought processes that we use to quantify information right and it looks like shannon's work is like is yeah. the go-to right it's like this is how we right. quantify it this is how we measure it this is how we measure how good a signal is etc etc right and right. i read that i read i read that book and i know less now than i read than when i started so like <laughs> sorry that was a that was a strange run right. but that was a right. strange run well and that's you know i think that's the beauty of that's the beauty of more education is the the more you learn the more you realize how much you don't know yeah and and just coming to grips with that that you really don't know i mean my phd advisor when i defended my dissertation when i was done she came out and she said that wasn't your best work i'd seen you at conferences before and you just knocked it out of the park and you you did fine mm-hmm. but so she just kind of asked she said is there something going on and i said to be perfectly honest i've gone through this entire process and i feel like i've done nothing right and she said congratulations you're done <laughs> that's exactly the way you're supposed to feel yeah if you yeah. feel like you've accomplished something you probably don't understand the problem mm-hmm. right because yeah. the problem if you're going to tackle something hard tackle something hard yeah, mm-hmm. yeah you, you know yeah. Um, and the problems that you're talking about are definitely really hard, yeah. which is why when you, when you sent me the link for the, uh, the university you're studying at now, I, I was like, wow, what a brilliant idea to combine artificial intelligence and, and psychology and neuroscience and, right. and, 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 yeah, ethics and all of those things. I was like, wow, why did, how, how come I didn't think of that? That's just, that's brilliant. I mean, that is, that's the future. You, you know, the, the, the future isn't, um, you know, necessarily, I mean, I'm going to get into trouble for saying this, but, you know, not necessarily, you know, physics mm-hmm. where, you know, gravity has been around a long time. We kind of know how that works, but there's a lot of there are things that we're trying to understand that are way beyond my comprehension. Um, you know, the, the origins of everything and all that kind of stuff, and um, which I think is cool. But there's that's a pretty, I guess, small field. There's not a lot of people doing that. Right. Um, you know, that kind of work. Whereas the things that are affecting the planet, um, you, you know, you go towards this notion of, of communication, you know, human beings communicating. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I was studying a little bit in my copious free time back then around 2013, 2014, was just trying to get an understanding of why, why do humans communicate? Why? Right. Um, and there aren't many reasons why humans communicate. Mm-hmm. 
So I, I funny. I, okay, fine. I'll field a hypothesis that I have for the for why we communicate. Uh, um, so I, so I think we communicate out of a sheer necessity in the sense that let's so so we inhabit this world reality, right? There are strong correlations between what you experience and what I experience. Like we experience mm-hmm. gravity the same way, we experience right. light the same way. We the laws of physics for the most part seem pretty pretty uniform, right? Like in in the sense that we all experience them pretty much the same way. But despite that, uh, there's something so unique about each individual person's experience that it's actually strange that it should be the case but it is like you know you and i can sit at this at the same exact commute it's the same exact concert listen to the same exact song and have two completely different experiences right oh correct that's a big that's a big thing with in the field of criminology you right. know people that see an experience of a crime mm-hmm. um the things that they miss right are exactly. incredible yeah, so I was thinking about it just like just the sheer need to not feel so lonely, you know, like just to be able to just to just to somehow get this other hum, other being into my state of mind. The only thing we the only tool we have is communication, right? Until we until we build some sort of neural link, uh, like right. have, like out of out of sheer necessity, just be like, I know you think you see what you see, but I need to tell you what I'm seeing. Like this is something you need to understand, right? Um, and well, you're 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 hitting on um, this the notion of um, giving information, seeking information. Um, there's the you know the the um, communication to convey convey emotion, mm-hmm. right? And then you know the the biggie. Right, which is we communicate to to persuade. Right. Absolutely. So it's yeah. that it's that exchange of information, and then you go to the next level of okay, why are we exchanging information? Is it for the sake of exchanging information, or is it for the sake of trying to persuade that the information that I'm conveying to you? is somehow correct or truth i mean or... there's value in that right there's real value yeah. in that because like because you know like like if you and i if you were you and i are in a society in a, in a group like we'd want to know whose information is better right wouldn't we want to know and like better is a relative term right yeah 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 true but like so it, it goes, but like it, it goes back to sources but yeah. like if you if you if you the thing is if we're the information is relative, isn't it relative only so far as we don't have a goal? Like once we have a goal together that that, that you want to accomplish, doesn't that sort of sort the information in sort of okay, this is this is more useful than the, this information than the next information? Like once well, we have a target. Well, and that's where I think that's where the um, where the questions that you asked me to ponder. Mm-hmm. Right, and the the link um, that I shared with you earlier, yep, 
um, on top ten challenges. Yeah, number one is, <laughs> is, is, is you know, and and so um, when you when when I look at that, I can look at I, I can look at challenges two through ten. Sorry, just for okay. everyone, just for everyone who's listening, like this is a list of yeah. Global... This is Global Topia. Yeah, global it's a Topia. it's a it's a thing that I referenced probably a decade ago, and really not much has changed. Right. Um, the top ten challenges facing humanity. Yeah. And it's a lot of them are the things that you would, um, you know most people would concur with, you know, disease and human suffering, education, democracy and human rights, population, poverty, um, mm -hmm. food and water, environment, energy. I would say two through 10, I can completely take off the table because if we can get the first one, right, misinformation, <laughs> denial and inertia. Yep. If we can get at, if the planet can get its hands around that, mm -hmm. all of the rest of those things will happen. It will, we will make great strides towards solving the energy problem. We will make great strides towards solving the, the food problem. The so like, I mean, this is, actually, this is actually super interesting that you, that, that, like just, I mean, I'll just give like uh, just as a segue into how information can solve like the energy problem, right? Um, so if you think about Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. um, now all of a sudden, these like these remote places in parts of the world where all they had was sunlight, like literally, right? They had no infrastructure, they had no mm -hmm. go government, they had all they have is sunlight. They can now sell their energy without wires, right? So they can set up some solar panels and just start mining, just start mining mm -hmm. coins, right? And they are effective. So, so now people are like, okay, hey, this country, like say, for example, let's take, I don't know, some sunny place like Sri Lanka. It's like, man, sunny place, land is super cheap, labor is super cheap. I'm just going to go over there and build a, build a massive Bitcoin farming, like solar rig. And all of a sudden this, this, uh, this this piece of land that had no worth at all is unbelievably valuable just because it can generate this abstract uh, in, like information currency, which is really something super interesting, right? Mm -hmm. That levels the playing field like to a to a certain degree. I mean, obviously, it needs to be you know scaled, but the, like right. uh, those things are really like, this, this information thing. So okay. Do you think it's just like a growing pains period? Do you think like we've sort of gotten the tools to gather all this all this information? We just don't we, we just haven't gotten around to learning how to make good use of it yet. Do you think it'll pass, or is it something that needs to be addressed? Like, um, well, I think the tools will continue to evolve, um, but no, we we. And I think some of the things that what you're studying now can help with is some of the processing of all of that information in order to try to make sense out of it. Mm -hmm. It's, and I think we have to go after it without 
preconceived notions of what the answer is. Right. That's really hard. Right. Cause right? Hard. That's, that's the hard yeah. part. I yeah, mean, I everybody wants to know, well, okay, what's the outcome going to be? Well, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we honestly don't know. I, I mean, um, you know, we've, you and I have communicated on the book Sapiens. Right. Um, yeah, that's right. That humans have been pretty lousy to each other since we've been on the planet. <laughs> I, I, I mean, there's, there's evidence, there's, there's archeological evidence of that. Right. You, you, you know, so, and, and yet we still do the same things. You, you know, we still treat ourselves, frankly, pretty poorly. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is a result of communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's story, um, whether it's evolved into misinformation or, or the concept of my information is better than your information and therefore, that makes you a subhuman being. Right. And 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 that's the part that's really scary. That's right. the part that scares me in terms of the, the the future. The hope is is how do we how do we change that? And and this is this is a generational kind of thing. It's probably many generations to to see this to fruition. Um, because today one group or one culture's view of what an optimum human condition is might be very different from another culture's view of what an optimum human condition might be. Mm-hmm. And too often we make comparisons, you, you, you know, like, um, you know, like the, the, the countries of the so-called West, you know, they've, they've got it so great and all that kind of stuff and everybody else has got it so bad. Where sometimes when you just go talk to some of these other places, it's like they're, the cultures are very content in the, in the life that, that they're spending on the planet. You know, and, and they have been, there, there's certain tribes still in the Amazon uh, river, you know, basin that, you know, if, if they have been found, they're very, very private, you know, but they continue to, to communicate and live and go through generations and all that kind of stuff in what we might consider a very primitive way, but what's, what's necessarily wrong with that? So uh, uh, surviving. I mean, this is something that hits pretty close to home because right now, Sri Lanka is going through probably its worst economic crisis since it got independence. And that's, I mean, like COVID totally flattened us, right? Yes. And uh, our, our number one, our, our primary income, Sri Lanka's primary income was tourism, right? Yes. And, and once that, you know, I mean, that was basically it. Yeah. Um so, and I'm, I mean, that's, but, but the thing is, we can't lay the blame at 
the feet of COVID. To be completely honest, right? I mean, like it, it's a problem, Correct. but but it didn't like the reason it it like it was a catastrophe. It was a it was a problem, but the reason it became a disaster is all on us, right? Like, um, I mean, our institutions and our systems of you know how we want to make things work, like. They were none, none of those things were in place to handle something of uh, something like this, right? And to your point about like the optimal human condition, that I don't, that's the you know I don't know. Like you like it's so like it, it like because I I being some from some you know like the height of my accomplishments should have been shoveling rocks in some ditch somewhere. Because like like if, like like if I was born literally like the next door to, like to my next door neighbor instead of my parents. Right, I, that that would have that might have been my future, because that's most Sri Lankans. So they, they they work for like a, like you know the, they work for the government. They they speak Sinhalese, which is just this one little language that no one else in the world speaks. Right, mm-hmm. and then you look at me, and when I tell people I'm Sri Lankan, I have to always be like, just to be clear, this is an anomaly. Like, not I'm not most Sri Lankans, right? Mm-hmm. And while I appreciate, like I appreciate all the benefits I gained from the, the things like America has accomplished, for example, or the Netherlands, right? These yes. advanced advanced economies. Yes. And I don't know. Like it, it's like it, it's like what do you want with your life, right? That's that's the question. Like what do you yes. want what do you want to do? You know? Yes. What is um I I look at the you know, obviously, with the things that have gone on in, in just in, within within the United States over the last four or five years, it's actually been much longer than that. But I'll just pick on the last four or five years. I've taken the opportunity to read the U.S. Constitution several times and mm-hmm. and just take in, you know, the the, the words and the the Declaration of of Independence and and that kind of stuff, and you know. I think the writers of those documents, you know, when they, when they coined the phrase, you know, the, the right of every human for, you know, to pursue happiness, they didn't say guarantee happiness. (laughs) You have, you have the right to pursue happiness and they didn't define what happiness was. Yeah. Right. It, it's it's it, to your point, it's an extremely individual kind of thing. Yeah. And and so there's it, it, it's it's just a this weird place that I that we seem so, to be in. So like um, I so given that this, this problem is really hard, I've been thinking about. So that's why I sort of asked you, right, like the world you want to like run towards and the things you want to run away from. Right. Right. And and so I because over the past say, two years or so, I've been reading about trying to get myself um, educated about the history of all the horrendous things that have happened. Right. Like, yes. The, like, yes. Like uh, the I mean, from great, like from great horrific things like the Holocaust to like the the, the Mao's Great Famine, all those right. big things to like right. little horrific tragedies you know like um there's what this is one amazing book called the um uh, ordinary men right and it documents 
the transition of ordinary policemen who were well adults and who were adults and doing their job before the Nazis ever came into power, right? Right. And how they trans, how they went from being normal policemen to shooting naked pregnant pregnant women in the back of the head in fields. Right. Right. And then you reach up to the dead and you're like, wait a minute, that person's a human being, right? Right. I'm a human being, right? So like, am I capable of that? Like that's that's how right. That's horrible. Right. right. That'll keep right. you up at night. Right. Right. Can you hit the pause button for yeah yeah for, yeah, yeah for, for sure about a minute give yeah, me about course. give me about a minute or so take as long as you need yeah all right, all right. so we're back okay so okay. um I don't know where I was going with that but the but the uh, this idea of the op the what the optimal human condition right like where should we go look like move towards um so when when I'm reading books like that I'm like okay well definitely don't want to go there right like i don't even want to like the thing is i'm so i'm afraid like the thing is i don't know what i would do if i was put in the, in that situation right so Correct. like when someone sees a picture of let's say from from the from 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 the holocaust or the soviet union and they see like uh you know one of the one of the like one of the, like a, like a ss officer like you know putting a gun down someone's throat or like someone in some soldier in the Soviet Union or Pol Pot's Cambodia, whatever. It's easy for us to imagine that we're, that we're the victim in this picture. But isn't it also equally likely that we, we could be the guy holding the gun? Like, isn't that part of what makes us human beings? Correct. So. Correct. That's, that's the hard part. It's, it's, um, we like to think we can put ourselves in a situation and how we would handle it, but mm -hmm. you don't know until you're in it. Yeah, absolutely. So, so like, so that, that's a, this is a great segue and I wanted, this is something I wrote down. I want to ask you about. Okay. So do you remember the Boeing 737 max, uh, yes. Right. Right. Okay. So we were talking about this in our ethics class about 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 this right and we were talking we were trying to figure out like how did how, how who is responsible for this right and and we had this image right like from the pilots so with the pilots the engineers the management and then the ceos like the spectrum right so so far on the far left was the passengers and the pilots then the engineers, then the CEOs, whatever, right? And my first reaction was like, I saw the engineers up there and I was like, and then I heard about the, the engineering decisions that were made, like, you know, like one sensor working on one critical, critical, critically important um, feature. And my initial reaction was like, no good engineer would be okay with this, right? And then my next reaction was like, there's no way someone from Purdue was on this team. <laughs> right? Like, like that was, uh, I, I want to believe that in my heart, right. but uh, right. I don't know how true, I don't know how true that is. But like, I was just like, I was thinking, so all ethics aside, isn't that, so there's a, it's just a purely engineering decision. It's like, 
you don't do that, right? Like if you have a mission critical thing, and first of all, sensors are stochastic and on the best of days, <laughs> right? And right. and like uh, you have this one thing that's supposed to control control how the the angle of the plane, and in here you you have one sensor with no backups or whatever, right? So yeah. what I want to ask you is, like, is my my initial reaction was like. If you were an engineer in the situation, you should have been, you should have just, you should have, you shouldn't have let that happen. You should be like, no, this is not good engineering. I'm out, right? Again, right. it's easy for me to say because I'm not in that position, right? Like, Okay, well then let me, I'll give you, I will give you an example. Yeah. I will give you an example. In my early days as an engineer, I was designing smoke detectors, residential smoke, smoke alarms. Right. Okay, so we would sell anywhere from five to maybe 10 million of these things every year. Mm -hmm. These are a lot of smoke alarms in a lot of homes. Yeah, right. right? Whose purpose is only one, to detect a fire and sound an alarm in case of of fire, Mm -hmm. right? Well, I was designing what would turn out to be the first mass-produced um, AC smoke detector with a DC backup. With a, so it was connected to the house wiring, right. but it had a battery backup. Right. Why we didn't think about it sooner, I'll never know. Um, and this was in 1985 or 86. It was, mm-hmm. it was a long time ago. But... I was going through the design, and if you're familiar with how smoke alarms work, when, uh, DC smoke alarms, when the battery gets low, about once a minute it will chirp. Yep. I know what that's about. Yep. It's, it's annoying, right? Yep. <laughs> but it's a little chirping sound. And it's what it's telling you is it's telling you that the, that the, that the battery is, is dying. Mm-hmm. And it's... It, Actually, what it's telling you is that it's at a place where it's unlikely that it will support 85 decibels for five minutes or something like that. But it's right. basically telling me the battery's dying. Um, today, they've gotten better that actually will tell you not only that the battery's dying, but there's also a problem with the sensor. Mm. Okay, which is right. which is a, a natural evolutionary step. Well, during this design process, again, it was the first of its kind. I designed it such that if the battery was dying or the battery wasn't there, it would chirp. Hmm. Okay. And, And it was almost by accident that it turned out that way. I was laying out the circuit and all that kind of stuff. And then I had the battery out, but it was still connected to AC and it was, it was chirping. I was like, Oh, that's really a good thing. Cause if there's no battery in it, you want there to be a battery. Cause the whole point of an AC smoke detector with a DC backup is if it's an electrical fire and you lose power in the, in the house, right. you still have an operating smoke alarm. Right. Right. Yeah. Common sense. Makes sense. Well, the marketing folks came back eventually to me. They went to my boss, and he was 
skeptical, but he was kind of hemming and hawing. So the marketing folks came back to me and they, they kind of said, we want you to change the design so that if the battery's low, it will chirp, but if the battery's not there, it won't. And I said, well, why do you want to do that? And they said, well, one of the, one of a, one of the large markets for these particular smoke alarms was subsidized housing units in cities. And the tenants in the subsidized housing would steal the batteries. Okay, to use them in, in boomboxes and things like yeah. that. You know, um, these are nine volt batteries. So, you know, I went home, thought about it, went back the next day, and uh, you know, basically, I, I told my boss, I told the marketing guys, I said, I'm not going to change the design. I said, if you want, you can go complain to the owner of the company. I'm not going to resign. You're going to have to fire me. Right. Uh, but I'm sticking to my guns on this. It makes no sense. From an engineering point of view, it makes no sense to design the unit in, in this way. They took a week or so to think about it, and they eventually backed down. But that So to your point that kind of a scenario actually happened to me. And it was fairly early in my career. I was, I don't know, I was. So what made you, what, what gave you, like what made you stand your ground? Like what, what, what was it? What, like, is it just? Well, it was purely, it was purely a technical argument that was related to saving lives. Right. Right. If if the battery isn't there and the and the cause of the fire is electrical and it knocks out the AC, the smoke alarm is now not going to function at all. So it's not going to warn the inhabitants that there's a fire. Right. So I just found that because there was a technical solution, I found that morally wrong. Right, right. You know, it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't the right, it wasn't the right, uh, you know, you know, position to take. Um, and eventually, I must have been persuasive enough. Right. With, with, my, with my logic. You know, I had to, I had to communicate, you know, to people what my position was and, and why it made and why it made the most sense, um, yeah, you know, it it kind of went against the purpose for having that particular kind of unit in in the first place. Right. You know? So, like, so in in class, I made the argument that like, so like, let's let's imagine these guys who are working on this, like, like, because people are, they were like, you know, they were like saying, oh, it's all the CEO's fault and whatever, right? Which is fairly easy to do, but I was saying yeah. like. Okay, let's just consider the situation. These guys are working for these engineers are working for Boeing, right? Yep. Which means they're good at their job, right? Which means yep. like they're they're getting paid because they're getting paid good money because they they mm -hmm. probably they probably went to really they've all probably went to good schools. They have great yep. degrees. Yep. What is the risk of saying you know what I quit? Like 
are you not going to be able to find a job like what's the what's the like what's the downside there like i don't like i mean i mean sure like okay fine maybe they have they have a house and kids and like you know like they people have people have problems i understand that right yeah but at one point like like for me in one in one sense it was just like that's just a bad engineering move and if you consider yourself a good engineer you just wouldn't do that right like it's just it's just it's just like would computer yeah i mean you've you've got the you know number one there's always a trade off anything you're designing you're designing for both function and cost right so you're trying to design the highest level of functionality typically for if not the lowest cost a very advantageous cost right um so normally there's and and you know we may we may not know we may never know that maybe an engineer did quit yeah we don't yeah, exactly that's true that's true you know right. maybe someone did quit yeah, and yeah, yeah they just left they said no this is this, this is, is absolutely yeah. wrong i'm i'm gone right um and whether it was in the group or at a management like you know level higher they signed off on it and let it go right um so it's 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 tough to know for sure yeah yeah um, and I, i i try not like i'm like i'm not trying to judge these people i'm just trying to get the best information i can cuz i am horrified i'm terrified i'll be in that position someday and i i just hope i have the strength and the support in my life for me to say you know what this is not worth it right like Mm-hmm. that's what i'm afraid of i'm afraid of i'm afraid of that situation when i when i when i when i have to put my money where my mouth is right and um yeah it it always well i won't always is too strong um it is often the case that some of the scariest moments are where you kind of have to put your money where your mouth is you like know. especially in the kind of stuff that i'm working on right like so it's like do i want i mean people would probably like you know if people let's say i people would probably pay me good money to help them build ever more advanced surveillance systems to 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 to, to detect faces identify like automatically automatically detect criminals like and they're going to be like we'll we'll pay you whatever you want right just do this thing right and I hope I'm the kind of person I don't know that's the thing right I've never been tested in, at, at that level so it's like I'm just I'm just like trying to trying to trying to think about it <laughs> Well I mean that's why I'm you know frankly so excited and actually so very proud of you for the combination of things that you're studying right you're you're obtaining a great um a great technological education but but with a very complementary moral compass and there aren't many programs in on the planet that actually do that you, you know, know that actually that that's part of the program's design is to is to help you have all of those tools so when it is time 
you know, because the way I was trained as an engineer, there, yeah, I could have chosen a, a philosophy class or, or, a, or a psychology class or an ethics class, but I wasn't guided there. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that would have been, I think it would have been helpful. And, you know, um, I appreciate you saying that, but also like I, I want to give credit where it's due, like to Purdue, right? I keep, I always tell people that I am unbelievably lucky that I went to school there because when one thing I got from there was this sort of, does it work well attitude, right? Like whenever we were building something, it's like, okay, that's cool. But like, like I got this, I got this sense that whatever you do do a good job of it right right i mean and and that very i mean obviously that 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 what that means is different to everybody right so but for me what that meant was like okay if i'm doing this thing do it like go all in do it really well right and just stick to the principles so that you know even though it could be a morally difficult question maybe just sticking to the first principle will principles will save you you know like hey as a good engineer i'm not going to build this system that only has one sensor sorry no that's not like i don't have a moral stance i'm just saying this is bad engineering right well that what where you go with that is and it was a thing that I learned that the automotive industry does a lot of. <clears throat> I sort of dreaded these um, these times, but they call it an FMEA, Failure Modes and Effects Analysis. Right. That's what the A stands for. So as part of the process, you're, you're asking exactly that question, right? Basically, what's... What's going to happen if this particular sensor fails? Mm-hmm. And what's going to happen if it fails this way? Or what's going to happen if it fails that way? Um, and so as part of that kind of a process, and we pretty much did that with almost every system you know that I've ever dealt with. I worked in automotive. I worked in medical imaging. I worked in the consumer stuff. So we'd always be asking those questions, mm-hmm. you know, so what happens if this, you know, if this thing fails and sometimes we'd actually, we actually make stuff fail. Right. Um, and, and go, Oh, that's okay. That's not good. Then you start looking, okay, what's the probability of this thing failing? Um, you know, if it's something that's somewhat complex, like a sensor, um, yeah, the probability of it failing is probably higher than some passive component, you know? Right. So, um, so yeah, so those are questions that are, are generally a common part of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you also think and then you, you get into the economic and yeah, time yeah. constraints of, so, of so, the project as well. So, so do, do, do you also like think about sort of how you evaluate what you're doing is also is sort of, is it driven by the compass that's set for you? Like, for example, if the idea of this, like if the only metric is profit, I mean, 
mm-hmm. then that sort of it 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 changes the decisions you make. It like it sort of shapes the reality you see about the thing you're trying to do, right? Like I'm not That's saying profit bad. is bad. Like I mean, pro- like it's been an incredibly useful tool. I mean, this this system of letting people build stuff and then you know getting and getting profit for their hard work is totally i understand that right right but um so you know like the idea of making the profit versus let's say if the boeing's if boeing's core principle was taking people from a to b safely right that mm-hmm. was our primary objective and i think even if a company starts at that picture over time especially when you get so big like boeing it gets diluted right and you sort of forget where you where you came from and like i i mean i'll give you an example this so i was when i was a marketing executive at uh, the engineering company this customer came in one day and my entire sales team was out so i was like i'll talk to him it's fine um and then i sat there and i and this this guy came in completely convinced that he that our product was already exactly what he needed right so basically he came in telling me what then what needs to happen like how i want it built and i listened to him for like an hour and in that moment i was just like like this is like you know easily uh, i don't know like a per- like percentage point revenue right so it's like it matters and i was like um you know what man I appreciate you coming down here but like I don't think what we will do for you is going to solve your problem right cuz like my my fundamental idea of what the company was doing was solving these people's problems right like mm-hmm. and I, and in my in my mind I was like okay look I did the I did the calculation I was like look even if we do an amazing job on this project this guy will never be happy because mm-hmm. we will never solve his problem like the thing we are making is not capable of solving the problem that he has so right. i spent another hour showing him what the actual problem he had was not what he thought the problem was and then he was like oh yeah i see it now this would never work and i was like yeah this would never work solve the problem that you have and then and then like he was like he was i mean obviously this is like you know like 5 6 years ago I was I was fresh out of Purdue, and then he was so impressed. He was like, "Hey, if you ever leave this place, you you need to come work for me." And I was like, "Yeah, okay, thanks." But 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 like but the but the main thing for me was like we I built so much goodwill with this guy, mm-hmm. right? Like he recommended us to people who whose problems that we could actually solve, right? Right, and that was more valuable to me, and it it has been more valuable to the company in the in the long run than trying to squeeze the profit out of this one guy and then potentially. hamstringing 10 years worth of business down the road right right so right. like how how you perceive what your company is doing i think really changes the 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 set of options you have available to you uh right right that's there that's that's true um So what happens in these big companies my question is like what happens in these big companies that makes it difficult for like it seems like these i they start off with something that they want to do and then they 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 get they get caught up in the uh quarterly reports and the 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 the, the share the should you know the share dividends and they sort of t- seem to lose track of what they were doing there in the first place 
Is that your sense? Uh, that's, that's very true. They, they, get, they get large, and then there's generally a certain amount of bureaucracy that, that has to come into play in order to sustain the largeness. Mm-hmm. And, and so now you're getting into processes and layers of human communication and isolation, you know, departments don't know what the other department's doing, right? you know, that kind of stuff. Um, And I think that's just kind of a natural thing. I mean, corporations have that problem. Governments have that problem. It's the Mm -hmm. same. It's basically the same problem, right? Um, As things get bigger and bigger and bigger, Yes, they are serving a larger and larger and larger scale. That's true. Um, And hence, you know, typically design cycles, you know, product release cycles slow down. Mm -hmm. Um, It was was a thing back in the early 90s that in the automotive industry, it was – at least five years before car companies would even consider, you know, major, you know, Revenge. changes. Yeah. And now that's been shrunk, uh, I think, because they had to. They just had to get more agile. So, you know, how they did that, I'm not exactly sure. Maybe they just broke things down into smaller groups, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so, so, yeah, it's a, it's a real issue i guess a challenge mm-hmm. so like i was thinking about it from just from a just from a inter, in the, from a, like an information dynamic perspective right it just seems like as you get larger your build like your the, the the movement of information and new information within the system there's something like it gets more difficult things don't mm-hmm. get to where they need to get people don't know what they need to know and the decision making becomes uh, far removed from the actual point where it gets implemented. Yes, language and interpretation of language is everything. Mm-hmm. It's it's what is said or written, um, how it's written. Um, some of the most difficult challenges I've ever experienced as an engineer, um, frankly, was writing system specifications. Right. How is this thing um, supposed to operate? How is it supposed to behave? Um, For how long? But, you know, all of those kinds of things. And you start to get into these thing, you know, again, you're playing trade-offs and and this kind of stuff because you're trying to give, you're trying to specify how something is supposed to be done while giving some amount of flexibility to those who have to try to implement it, right? Because there's always multiple solutions to a problem generally, Right. right? right? So, you start using words like shall. Mm-hmm. In other words, that's a rock solid thing. You shall do this. Yeah. Um, and then you get into the fuzzy areas, may and should. 
you know, it should do this. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have to. Right. It, you may do that. Right. But you may not. Um, but so, but the word shall and must are non-negotiable. Right. Right. So until you've done it, and there's a reason why I never believed it until I was in it. Right. That a good systems engineer, typically at the last company that, that I worked for, the telecommunications company, it was only the guys with about 20 years of experience that got those jobs. Mm -hmm. And until I had to do it, I am not, then I understood why. Right. Cause it's, cause it is that hard. Um, you know, especially in something that's quite complex. Right. So I'll, I'll ask a simple question. How hard is it to get stuff to work? It's pretty hard. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, let's put it this way. It's typically easy to get something to work. Yeah. Well, but make it work tomorrow. Right. right. And the next day. Yeah. And the next day. And yep. the next day. And, and you know, for possibly years or possibly five years or possibly 10 years. Right. Um, that, it's a little trickier to, you know, to, to, to do that kind of thing. Now yeah, you're getting into the time that a designer spends researching materials and, and all that kind of stuff. The parts yeah. that go into the thing. I mean, like yeah. the fact that Every time I open my MacBook, like my, my my computer, every time I turn it on, I like I'm pretty much certain, like close to certain, it'll work. Like it'll turn on, right? Yep. Like for years, it'll, and and it'll do that. And it's been doing that for day after day after day, for years, right? Correct. And the amount of like how you would build that level of how do how you constrain the randomness in this world. To the point where that's possible is i mean that's that's a miracle as far as i'm concerned it is quite remarkable it is quite remarkable the laptop i'm talking to you on right now is a macbook pro uh 2014. Mm -hmm. it cannot be upgraded to right. uh mon the monterey operating system so i'm done at, at whatever the last one was big sur i guess yeah um <sighs> It, it, um, I'm getting a warning that the battery needs now needs to be replaced. Yeah. But 2014. Yeah. It's, it's eight years old. It's amazing. It's, it right? is eight years old. And, and so, yes, I will be retiring this unit probably within the next 12 months. But every, like you say, every day it turns on. That's, that, I find that, I find our ability to do that on, that's, it just, it's, it, it really it's like a awe-inspiring thing to, for me to think about the fact that given how chaotic how much chaos like the universe and nature is indifferent to our suffering as far as i'm concerned right uh yes right and yes. but but we have somehow been able to constrain things like build a house that stands you know there's electricity in the in the outlets there's water flowing in the taps right regularly like it works right right and it's not complete chaos all the time just the fact that we can manage that like this hairless apes you know walking on two feet it's pretty 
pretty right. Much well, going it. going back to your Boeing question, right? Look at all the planes that Boeing has made that are 30, 35 years old and they're yeah, still totally flying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 you know. <laughs> so it's it's like, yeah, they those that's what amazes me. Is, right, is, right, exactly, exactly. Those things are you know, they're in the weather and all kinds of different weather conditions and, and all that kind of stuff and, and stress conditions, take off and landing. It's just amazing. Yeah, it, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's nothing short of miraculous. And like, yeah. um, and you know, like the, and the work you've done, it's just like, um, like, I, like, you know, so I, I just hope I can, you know, like, I just want to be useful at this point. I'm not concerned about changing the world. I just want to be a useful human being and not leave the place worse than when I, than, than when I found it. Like, that's all I'm... Like, honestly, <laughs> honestly, honestly, if I manage to, like, disappear when I, when I die, and it was not... It, it was as if, like, it was just like a footprint in, like, the sand on a beach, and, I, and I'm just gone, I'd be happy with that. What I don't want is, like, to have left a, a lasting detrimental effect that that just that's just a catastrophe for everyone who came that comes after me. If I'm not a part of that, I'll be good. I'm not interested in saving the world. I just want to be like have a, just do my just do a good job. <laughs> right, know? right. Well, like, I mean, if you can, if you can, you know, this is what I'm trying to do every day, and then I I don't succeed every day, but I try is just to be the best version of me. Yeah, you know, every day I, I can retain my criticality from the education that I've I've been blessed to, to be able to get, and um, but not become judgmental. Right. Yeah. You know, it's it's one thing to be critical, and it's a good thing to be critical, mm-hmm. um, especially if if you've done your homework, you've done your research, and that kind of thing. But um, you know, just uh, you try to stay away from the judgment side of things. That's where we sort of get ourselves in, into lots of uh, trouble these days. Yeah, I think. absolutely. I, I agree. All right, Professor, you, you've given me almost two hours of your time. This has been <laughs> amazing. So I, I, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna impose you, impose upon you any longer. But I want to ask you. So, a world that you think is worth running like hell towards. What do you think that world looks like? Well, I mean, that world, we've got to solve that number one global challenge. Yeah, you, you know, I, I we've, agree. We've got to, we've got to get that, that uh, misinformation, um, denial, you know, inertia part, you know, dealt with. And, you know, how we do that, I mean, um, uh, yeah. You know, I don't know, just I, I guess spread, spreading that word, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's not about trying to be ultra persuasive as much as it is to, I don't know, um, get get people to open their minds. And um, talk to each other, I guess, like more than, you know, more just than anything a, else. Yeah, be an open minded, um, you, you know, uh, world. Um, that's the world that I want to run to, you you know, um, that's what I try to impart on, on, on my kids, um, is just try to be open-minded and, um, you know, that sort of thing. So yeah, I mean, that's, 
you know, all the other things I think will fall into place. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, human behavior is already is already changing in places where it needs to. Um, you know, U.S. is buying more EVs. Um, Europe has always had a decent, um, not only philosophy but uh, implementation. Uh, you know, there's there's many more bicycles and and mm. that sort of thing in in places in Europe, but the geography lends itself nicely to that. Yeah. Um, whereas in the U.S., we're typically just spread out more. Um, yeah, you know, some of the other problems, you know, food and, and yeah, I've seen enough studies that there's a general belief that population is going to level itself out on the yeah, planet. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. already starting to. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, the food, and, and, I mean, the, I can tell you the food problem is just a logistics problem at this point. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, my wife and I were having this conversation the other night of, Gee, at least in the U.S., all we got to do is we can literally flip a switch and turn all the farmers on in the U.S. and basically feed the planet. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Sri Lanka is just I mean, it's just doing this to itself. Like we are just in a catastrophe, you know, Um, but like uh, uh, in terms of man, I I had a thought that I wanted to say, but um, yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. I interrupted you. But um, it's okay. um, Yeah. I just wanted to add, like, you know, when I was growing up, I, there's an interesting phenomenon because we watched, I watched at least American TV shows, American movies. I read American authors. I read, you know, like I read these books, but everything came to me a little late, you know, because I'm in a little island in Sri Lanka, right? So I'm watching TV shows that are 10 years old or like, you know, like seven years old or like reading books that are decades old. So when I moved to America, the the image of America I had in my head was no longer there. It was kind of hard for me to find that place. I was like, wait, where is this? Like, where is that place? Right. Mm-hmm. But I still have, I still believe and I still want America to be that uh, force that you know, for good in the world, like not, not like not your own idea of what good is, but just like right. set an example, like not impose your will all over the world. Like, you know, like, right. most, like, 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 <laughs> like seems to be the modus operandi lately, but um, just like the, like, even if this is super naive, I know this is going to sound naive as hell, but like, I still believe in that, you know, that, um, like figure your shit out for, your, for yourself. Like pick yourself up by the bootstraps, and like honesty and no nonsense truth and communication and just getting shit to work. Pardon my yeah. French, right? Yeah. Like yeah, I, well, it, I, I still think that there's that, like there's like we need that we need that force in the world, and I just hope America right. can find that again. Right. There's there's. There's a lot to unwind over basically the last 120 years. Mm-hmm. You know, there were two quote unquote world wars 
that frankly scared enough of the planet to where, you know, there's, there were a lot of agreements, you know, that were made by, you know, six or seven presidents ago mm -hmm. that the people today are still dealing with. Right. Um, it's, it's like, how do you unwind a lot of that stuff? And the more recent events have, I think, accelerated the notion, at least some of the things I'm reading and seeing, um, you know, the, the, the Germans and the Poles are starting to realize that, hey, we've, we've probably, we, World War II is over. It's been over for a while. We have to stop kind of hiding from that. Mm -hmm. And like you say, pulling pulling up from your from your bootstraps, and you know America will always have those countries' backs, mm -hmm. but at the same time, um, you, you know, and this goes back several presidents ago. We committed to, you know, saying, "Yeah, we're going to have your back," but the the only way for us to help you is to put military bases here and this and that, and you know, that kind of stuff. So now you've got some in, very interesting questions about what happens next. You, 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 you know, what does, what does a lot of the quote foreign policy look like? Um, if you're, you know, if you're some of these countries, I, I was at a place in 2016 um, the, the Air Force War College, mm -hmm. um, which is down in Montgomery, Alabama. And a lot of the conversation, this was in 2016, was about America's foreign policy and the perspectives of, and again, this is 2016, remind you, how would the Chinese feel and how would the Russians feel because they've got the quote unquote enemy are right there at their, at their borders. You know, there's however many countries, you know, you could count them. Um, whereas the U S really doesn't have that problem. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, there's distance there and there all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. so it's like, you're we're trying to think about, you, you know, it's it's not necessarily completely about trust, but it's is but it may be about trying to wear their shoes a little bit. I mean, mm -hmm. how would you feel if you had, you know, all of these munitions and stuff kind of aimed at you and 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 that sort of thing? Um, so again, that's where the I think if we can get past some of the misinformation stuff. Um, and simply be a little bit more open and, and transparent, but everybody has to participate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, I think, I think, um, if we start, I think, I, I, I try to be, I, I try to be hopeful because there's no other option, right? Like I want, I refuse to be pessimistic about, <laughs> about the, about the next. The other year. option is, is not a good one. It's not a good one at all, right? You know, so, for for this for the species. Yeah, exactly. And I, I like not good. So I like human beings. Like I like I want us yeah, to Yeah, yeah. I want right. us to 
I want us to thrive and like to recognize that we're this is not a zero sum game, right? Like you know, we need to play this correct, game, right? Correct. So you know, but like you say, you know, you you put it in the context of of Sri Lanka. We can put it in the context of the entire globe that well, we're doing this to ourselves. We've yeah. got huge ice shelves now falling off of Antarctica again. Yeah. Um, these are these are wake up calls, and some of this should be fairly obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, can we? Should we do this as step changes? Probably not. You know, it probably doesn't make sense to just completely stop, you know, uh, burning oil and, and that kind of stuff. But it does make sense to start thinking about what a future looks like, um, you and know, I think, with different, I, different methods to generate and move power. And I think um, it's all, it's important, like, countries like America getting shit, getting shit together, because, like, countries like Sri Lanka, we, as we know, we look, for example, we look for, like, you know, People, people to look up to is like you know like what do we what right. do you want like what kind of world do we want to live in like right. uh, do you want to live in the do you want do you want do you want countries like Sri Lanka looking up to China because I right. because like I don't I personally I don't want that's not a world I want to live in because I'm not talking about any anything I'm just talking about just from a purely from a perspective of how they're using the, the technology that I'm trying to build right because right. that, that's all I know. So I'm gonna stick right. to that. Stick to my stick to my role here, right? right. And I'm just gonna say, like, I am not cool with like how, what they're doing with the with with with, right. with with the AI technology and with micro 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 electronic technology, right? To basically subjugate and monitor their their population. Right. I'm not okay with that, right? right. And like, uh, uh, you know, like we the world needs examples, and America is not looking too looking too not looking too hard right now. Oh no, we've done we've done a horrible <laughs> job, especially over the last five years or so. I mean, yeah. it's it's been really we've if if we've done nothing else, we've gone backwards, mm-hmm. um, which is I I'm really sad to, to to say that. You know, it's just I'm sad to hear not, that. Like I'm sad about that. You know, like we're we're <laughs> not. Um, you know, we're not. You know, collectively, we're not thinking straight right Agreed. now. We just aren't, you know, it's just, it's, um, it's, it's, um, it's, it's not healthy. And like you say, it's, it's not providing, it's not providing the, the example that at least I believe, uh, gives the rest of the world hope. Right, yeah, you know exactly. That, that... Exactly, that is exactly what we need. That, that that's that's precisely what we need. You know, oh, you know, like I didn't even like speaking of like the future and how to build it. I didn't even get to ask you about Polytechnic High School, or like uh, oh yeah, like that's that's like okay, I, I have to ask you before I let you go because like that seems super interesting to me. So what was the what 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 what's the story there? Like, what's what's Purdue doing with this high school? Well, I mean, they're just taking a lot of the a lot of the techniques, I guess, of the polytechnic. A lot of the learn by doing, um, a lot of that kind of thing. Uh, even some of the the, the competency based and competency like um, 
reviewing of students and that sort of thing and taking it to the high school level. Um, and I think they're up to, I don't know, three or four different locations now. That's crazy. Uh, within, within the state of, of, of Indiana. And apparently, apparently it's working. Um, That's great. I'm very happy to hear that. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully if it's, it's a, hopefully it's a good thing. And, I gotta Students say, it. might not otherwise get the chance. Get a sure. chance. I gotta say, like America aside, like I have nothing but good. Like I'm just, I'm always proud of Purdue. Like it's so, it's so nice to be like, like to be part of that school, to have been part of that school. It just, like, I'm just happy that I was, I, I got, I got the experience because I learned so many valuable things, and you know, like. It didn't occur to me at the time when I was learning it. That's the problem. <laughs> but well, you know, I actually had a very wise. It was, it was the second hardest course I took. The first hardest course I took was the advanced version of that course. The, the course I'm talking about is an algorithms class in computer mm -hmm. science. It's so you're analyzing computer algorithms mathematically and all that kind of stuff. So, right. very tough class. Um, but the instructor of that course um, said something very profound to me. And again, this is while I was working. He said, um, he said that basically the last three weeks of stuff that I'm teaching you, you're not going to even get for the next, you know, for the next three to six weeks. <laughs> so he said, you know, and, and it's like, and, and, and that's extremely true. And then the thing that I've taken from, frankly, a lot of the feedback that I've gotten from students, um, like yourself, but those that graduated with you and some before you and some after you, I hear from them from time to time. And... Um, they're thankful. That, you know, the first words are, you know, you were right about whatever, um, you know, but the, the second thing is typically they're, they're glad that they were at least somewhat prepared, right? you know, for that thing. And really that's probably the best compliment you can get. It's not that you were right about something that, that has nothing to do with it. It's just that the things that you try to impart still are some of the right things, right? Because yeah, exactly. they still matter. Yeah, for sure. You know, and so whenever you process it or are confronted with something and it's like, oh, yeah, I remember hearing about that. And, you know, you take that next step. That's really what matters. It's, it's not that you leave a place, you know, knowing it all because, you know, you, you leave with a your bachelor's degree. And again, I'm 40 plus years past it it's it's like you really don't know anything yeah you've got <laughs> a couple some experience on top of that and then all of a sudden some of the pieces start to fall into place you connect the dots and for sure you know and and you pursue your version of of human happiness yeah exactly and uh, i can't thank you enough for uh, taking this time to help me move towards that my pursuit of human happiness because this has been amazing 
and like, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh like it's just it's just uh yeah you know well hopefully just, you've got great. hopefully you've got enough material there that um Oh, it's great. You can either edit pieces out or or use. No, no, no. We, can, we can do this again sometime. Absolutely, absolutely. I, we'll... Like I, I definitely wanted to talk to you so much, so much more stuff. Like I wanted to like talk, but I, I like like proper technical stuff. But this has been great. Like like next time, we'll talk about some like actual uh, uh, system stuff because I'm like interested in how these things work. And um, again, uh Thank you. I just want to thank, like, uh, thank you for your time. Also, thank you for like being such a great educator and like you know teaching me stuff when I was just like a know nothing, uh, <laughs> uh, some twenty something year old. So that was it's been it's been an experience. Uh, well, right. hopefully you got a decent foundation to the things that you're doing now, oh, and the for things sure. that you're doing now are just going to take you in so many great directions. Um, I've got every confidence. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. All right. Well, thank you for your time, and uh, we'll definitely do do this again. Absolutely. We'll do it again. Absolutely. All right. See you. All right. Thank you for joining me in this conversation. I hope you got something out of it. And until next time.